Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Letting God be God is one of our greatest fears. When the circumstances are the most adverse, the temptation will be the strongest to bring God down to a level so that we can argue with Him. Now, that may be a radical thought, and perhaps you have never framed it that way, but I trust as I work through this, it'll make sense to you. But more than that, it'll also bring some hope and help. This instinct to bring God down to our level, it really isn't unusual. You see, we do it with folks all the time. Somebody who needs a piece of your mind, somebody that you disagree with, to be angry at someone requires elevating yourself above them so that you can let them have it. And it really doesn't matter if the object of our frustration is human or the divine. You see, if you're going to be angry at someone, you do have to rise above them. I mean, you can look at a picture here. Just think about the humble heart. That is the person with their knee on the ground looking up at the person in humility. That's not how anger and frustration happens. The fearful, angry soul is not far from this kind of exalted arrogance when things become unmanageable. When life turns your world upside down and you are afraid, you are angry, you become an arrogant soul. Well, I was this person once upon a time when my life turned upside down. It made no sense to me whatsoever, and I was angry. Well, eventually, I made my way to the Lord, recognizing that He was in my trouble. And in my arrogance, I wanted to bring Him down to my level so that I can complain and spill out my bitterness and grumble. Ultimately, I was angry with Him, trying to elevate myself above Him as though that was even possible. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Welcome to Life Over Coffee. I'm so glad that you are here. If you haven't made your way over to our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com, let me encourage you to do that. Uh, We rebranded our ministry in October of 2022, and we've had scores of people just tell us how wonderful the website is, how beautiful it is. But there's also a lot of resources over there, too. Christy, one of our supporting members, said today on the forum, says it's almost overwhelming with all the resources that we have. And I do understand that. And so I want you to come, though, and I want you to benefit from all of our resources. They're free to you. Now, what I want to share with you, I've titled it, Bringing God Down to My Level So That I Can Argue With Him. Now, you're welcome to read this article if you wish. Uh, we produce our our content over the past year or so in a read, watch, listen format. And so you can read our articles, you can watch the video, I'm making the video right now, or you can listen to the podcast. And then of course, if you don't mind, if you would share these resources with other people, I would appreciate it. And for those of you who are doing the work of discipleship, please not only share with your friends, uh, but use our resources as homework assignments so that they can be going through some of these resources in between the times that they're meeting with you. Now, again, I've titled this, Bringing God Down to My Level So I Can Argue with Him. 
Now, the reason I have this title and the reason I'm sharing this with you, uh, because these were some of the thoughts that I had during the darkest season of my life. And, well, I put it down on print because I want to share these things with you because I know from interacting with people, we're all suffering. We suffer differently, but we're all suffering. And so I know that this will be a benefit and, and I trust an encouragement for you. You see, freedom mixed with future uncertainty can be terrifying. Humans are frail souls, and we need constraints and structure and security. Even if it's not good for us, let me give you an example of what I mean. I mean, the Hebrews wanted to return to Egypt where it was excruciatingly painful for them, but they knew what they would get if they returned. They were willing to take the structure and the constraints of Egypt rather than to walk with God on the wild side. Walking with God through the world's wilderness is frightening and freeing both terrifying and exhilarating, all at the same time. Ultimately, this unsettling tension in our souls boils down to how we think about God, specifically His goodness. Will He do good for me? Or more to the point, how shall He define good for me? That word good has a broad definition as we read in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Well, a synonym for good in that context is all things. And so walking with the Lord, well, there are big, wide open spaces that we can walk with God in. And sometimes that makes us insecure because we do not know where God is leading us. We want structure. We want security. We want a safe space. In fact, the Hebrews wanted it so badly because as soon as they got out in the wilderness and things got frightening for them, they were unsure of the future outcome. They decided, man, I'd rather have Egypt than to have this. And that's not an unusual thought, by the way. When unexplained and undeserved suffering comes into our lives, will we trust or will we blast the Lord? When God is silent and there is no apparent benefit to holding on to Him by faith, will we continue to follow Him or walk away? Choosing the certainty of Egypt, the strictures of Egypt, the constraints of Egypt over the uncertainty of the wilderness wandering. Can a believer lose everything that is dear to him and still have a robust God-centered confidence and a great love for God? Well, to answer these questions in the affirmative, it requires a high view of God, a vain attempt to lower him, at least in our minds, because ultimately we will never lower God. And so these vain, futile attempts in our mind to bring God down to our level so that we can argue and complain with Him, well, that will never provide what we really want from Him. When we suffer, it is much easier to lower your view of God than to lift your faith higher. There are some types of suffering where lifting your faith to a high view of God can be the most challenging thing you will ever do. An elevated view of God means He is perfect in every way. An elevated view of God means that everything He does is correct and without argument. 
It affirms that the Lord can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it, and what he does is perfect and unassailable. God is God and we are not. That is an uncomfortable thought when you're in the throes of suffering. But if you're going to suffer well, you must recognize who he is. And you must resist any vain attempts to change him. When Job thought about these things in chapter 23, he says, But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires that he does... For he will complete what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. Now, isn't that a terrifying thought? Well, actually, that's what Job said next. Job said, therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider, I am in dread of him. You see, Job thought about these things. And it brought dread into his soul. Job had a high view of God. And that was a fearful thing. Similarly, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, lifting your faith to a high view of God is challenging and it is scary. Your soul will be in dread too. It's far easier to bring God down to our human understanding where we can challenge Him, correct Him, and maybe even disobey Him. When we do that, we create a God in our image, not His to lift him up to his throne and to worship him on his throne, it requires a submission that may cost our lives. A high view of God is a call to let him be God regardless of what comes our way. It is a complete surrender of one's life. The fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of him. The fear of the Lord is to be afraid of ourselves. It is a simultaneous recognition of who we are and who He is while discerning the ginormous difference between those two opposites. Jesus talked about it this way in 2242 of Luke, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This type of fear of God, this type of respect for God. It brings humility to the soul, motivating us to relinquish our rights to our lives, which is the highest call of humankind. To let God be God and to be okay with how he runs the universe, or more precisely, the real issue is whether we will be okay with how he runs our lives. Forget about the universe Will I be okay with how he works in my life? Now, of course, the truth is that God will be God whether we let him or not. Now, please understand, I've used this phrase or word collection, let him, or letting God be God. I'm using the word let in an extremely loose sense. We have no ultimate control over our lives, and we definitely have no control over God's. We will not let him do anything, for he is God and we are not. Those who think they are somebody will be reduced to nothing. But the humble spirit recognizes that he is nothing, and God will exalt this person in due time. Job said it this way when his world was falling apart. 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. I like the King James Version here. It says, in all this, Job did not charge God foolishly. If you charge God with any wrong, you are a fool. You are acting foolishly. After Job met God, the humbling process began, requiring the crucible of suffering, which we need the crucible of suffering to assist us in realigning our thoughts about God. It is rare to have a first response like what Job did when your world blows up in your face. Now, perhaps you did. I don't know you, but I didn't. When my world flipped upside down, I did not. I was in a whole other universe from the response that I just read to you from Job. To worship and bless the Lord during acute suffering is not typically something from fallen and fragile people. Our response is like the Hebrews. Our world is a little shaky out here in this wide open wilderness. I need structure. I need security. I need to know where the walls are. I need to know the beginning from the end, even if that's Egypt. I'll go back to Egypt. It's far better than whatever is going on out here. You see, our first response is usually more like bringing him down to our level, thinking like a man. We have a anthropomorphic worldview of who God is sometimes uh, when we're in the throes of trouble. And when we bring him down to our level, we can challenge him now. It's like what I was saying earlier. If you're angry with some, uh, someone, you're not underneath on your knees looking up with a humble spirit. No, to be angry with someone is to be above them. And if you're going to be above God to be angry at him, well, in that kind of arrogance, you're exalting yourself above him, even if it's only in your mind. What you want is a non-sovereign God. A non-sovereign God is a challengeable God. If the Lord was not Lord, but more like us, what he brings to our lives would be more open for debate. I remember the first time I argued with God this way. It was when my suffering was beyond my ability to manage it. Now, by the way, that's a clue. When your suffering is beyond your ability to control it, that that is a clue that is saying clearly, loudly, that you are not self-reliant. And the sooner that we learn that we are not self-reliant, the better off that we are. There, is, there are no self-sufficient people. God is the only one who is all-sufficient. But when my trouble got to the point or beyond my ability to manage it, that's when I began thinking arrogantly that I'm angry with God, and so I'm bringing him down to my size to my level. I need a challengeable God. I need someone that I could debate with. How foolish. When my pain was not as intense, I was okay with him being God. I never considered going toe-to-toe with the Lord during the good times. But after my sufferings went beyond the breaking point, my desperation increased, and I began to lose my sense of divine propriety. Rather than responding like Job... I sounded more like Job's wife. I did 
this by unwittingly trying to wrestle his divine attributes away from him. Our culture does this all the time. They despise the God of the Bible because he interferes with their agendas. And so they rewrite God. They deny God. God does not exist. They bring him down to a human level and then manipulate him as they rise above him, writing their own stories because they don't, have, they don't like how their story is unfolding. And as my story unfolded, I recognized that God was in my way, just like the culture. And rather than him being sovereign, I wanted to be sovereign. But to do that, I had to redefine who God is. I wanted to be the authority about what was right. Of course, this logic implied that after I humanized him, I could decide who would be in control. Of course, that presents a problem when you think about who you're trying to challenge and change. Perhaps it would do good at this point to soak just in a short list of some of God's attributes. I want to give you a few here just to think about this person that I was trying to challenge and change. Here's a short list of who God actually is, not the God that I tried to create and the God that people are creating in our culture. For example, attribute, the solitariness of God, meaning he does not need us. The decrees of God, his scary future purposes, what he decrees will come true. The knowledge of God, he's omniscient. The immutability of God, he is unchangeable. This is what Job said, who can change him? The sovereignty of God, he rules everything. The holiness of God, he is perfect in every way. The power of God, he is omnipotent. The faithfulness of God, he is persevering. The goodness of God, he is the best. The love of God, he is kind. Now, these are only 10 attributes that I rolled out for you. Are you able to see the irony here? As you listen to that list, why would anyone want to change someone like this? How foolish, how dark does a heart have to be to want to have any other being ruling over them? Being okay with God as the sole owner of these qualities and complete sovereign of our lives well, that's the most humble and wisest and safest thing that we could do. Egypt is not safe, even though it appears to be safe in the wide open, wild wilderness. To fully release ourselves to his sovereign care and control, it requires us to elevate our faith above our suffering. And that is really the issue for us who struggled this way. Or let me be more specific, for me who struggled this way, my suffering was greater than my faith. I had elevated my suffering above my faith, and so I had to work it out on my own, which necessitated bringing God down to my level so that I could take full control of my life. But if you want to fully release yourself to His sovereign care and, and control, then you have to elevate your faith above your suffering. Your suffering is what you can see. It is what is in front of your face. And any attempts to manage our lives outside of His plans will be futile. We do not need faith in our futile, self-sufficient sputterings. We need a faith that transcends human ability and contrivance, the things that we can't see. 
We must learn to trust God. A faith that ser- a faith that saves us rather from ourselves. In Job 1.12, he said this, or the text says this, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, typically people are cool with God until personal suffering comes into their lives. It's not that we're any safer it's not that we're any better off during the good times. We, we're just less aware of our surroundings, especially the spiritual forces who would find no greater pleasure than to usher in our demise. Then when the Lord lets down whatever protective hedge He has around us, that's when we become unsettled about who He is and what He may allow into our lives, and how things will turn out. You see, God hasn't changed. You remember one of those attributes, immutability. He changes not. And so He was the same when the hedge was up. He's the same when the hedge is down. But the scary possibility of what God might do is why it's easier to lower our view of Him than to have faith in Him. You see, a lower sight line allows for perverse and twisted permission to accuse him of wrongdoing or unfairness when things go against our plans. If the trouble is disappointing enough, the languishing soul may choose to walk away from God altogether. John Walton said this, At the moment when faith is hardest and least likely, that is when faith is needed most. Have you ever lowered your view of God during an elevated crisis? I'd like for you to consider the attribute list again that I shared with you earlier. Which one of those attributes have been the most difficult for you to embrace when your suffering was the acutest? I'm going to go through that attribute list again, but this time I want to share with you how I lowered my view of God during personal suffering, permitting myself to argue with Him as I tried to call the shots. You may find this exercise challenging, but you may also find it refreshing as you reacquaint yourself with the true and the living God, specifically as you connect these attributes to any current trial that you're going through. You'll see that as you listen that I've placed questions beside each attribute. Now, it's okay to ask God questions. We call this prayer. And if you're a humble learner, perhaps the questions that I'm going to share with you beside each attribute or after each attribute, perhaps it will stir other questions in your mind, things that you want to take before the Lord. So let's go through uh, some of those attributes. The knowledge of God. These were some of the things that I was thinking. Lord, if you know everything, why have you let this trouble into my life? You knew what was coming, the decrees of God, but you allowed it anyway. The immutability of God. Lord, you are all-powerful. That's also his omnipotence. You can change your mind. His decrees. His decrees. You do not have to let my suffering continue. Will you help me understand why you're letting this continue? The sovereignty of God. Lord, you rule over the universe. It would not take much of you 
power, omnipotence, to orchestrate things in such a way to make things better for me. The love of God. Lord, do you love me? Is this, is this love? Is this how you express love to your children? I feel lost. Please help me to understand. Do you remember what he said when Job thought about these things? Job said it this way. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Do you hear the confusion of Job? As Job is wrestling with who God is, maybe rolling through some of these attributes, he said, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might even come to his seat. I would lay my case before him, and I would fill my mouth with arguments. Now, as you listen to those attributes and the questions and statements that I attach to each one, I mean, you can make an ever so slight turn with those statements and questions, but the outcomes are of those distinctions or worlds apart. You see, you can say all of these things that I said. You could ask all the questions that I asked by bringing God down to your level so that you could challenge him. Or you can say and ask all of those things as a humble learner because you don't know why these things are as they are. You sincerely want to know why so you can learn, so you can change, so you can grow. The question for you is, what kind of inquirer are you? Do you bring arguments before the Lord as one who has lowered him to your level, or do you see him high and lifted up? Do you have a transcendent faith or transcendent suffering? Are you bowing before him, seeking to understand his sovereign plans for you? A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Your crucible of suffering provides you with your most accurate litmus test to examine what you think about God, how you think about others, and how you think about your life. Do not miss that Job's first response to suffering, naked I came into the world, Naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That response was not to God. He was not talking to God. He was talking to others. He was speaking horizontally. He was letting others know what he thought about God. He was making a declaration about God. Today, he is speaking to you and me. Now we're on that horizontal plane. He's talking to us. What do others learn about your faith when suffering comes into your life? What comes out of your, uh, your mouth? You say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. What do they hear from you? You see, we always put forth our beliefs before others, whatever our faith may be. In the first chapter of Job, his friend saw a man who trusted God. His suffering revealed his faith, as the heat in our lives will do, drawing out what's in our hearts. His friends could draw two conclusions about Job's faith in God. The first conclusion is that nothing ever happens to us outside of God's control. Job truly believed the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And he accepted those outcomes, at least at that moment. I know there's the rest of the story, but we're, we're hunkered down in chapter 1 right now. 
Job's response included all primary and secondary causes. The suffering that came from the hand of the Lord, the suffering that came from Satan and his demons, from friends, from any other circumstance, he accepted all of that as from the hand of God. All suffering, no matter where it comes from, is permitted by the Lord. This truth does not mean that you must like what God allows into your life. That would be weird. But no matter how cruel our trouble is, we must not choose the wrong path when those bad things come our way. Our sinfulness or our sinlessness during our suffering will reveal our faith. And if we choose unwisely, the best course of action is heartfelt, life-altering repentance leading to worship, as Job did as we hear in that response. And so as you read Job's response to suffering, how do your typical reactions to pain compare to his? Now, I recognize my question could guilt trip you, and that is not my aim at all. I do not mean that at all. Few people have responded with such clarity and conviction, but we don't want to lower the bar to feel better about ourselves because we didn't respond like Job did. If there is a need for change, what is one thing you can do to begin that process? And I would appeal to you to be specific and practical. I said there were two things that we could learn, two conclusions that we could learn from Job's response. Well, the second one is we can we can make about Job, uh, Job is, uh, <laughs> the second conclusion we can make about Job is that faith means trusting God when there is no apparent reason to do so. I said it. I got it out. Faith means trusting God when there is no apparent reason to do so. When you experience unexplained or undeserved suffering, you can have a higher view of yourself than God, bringing Him down again so that you can challenge and debate Him. Or you can think about your love and your justice being better than God's love and justice, bringing Him down again. You can do this with any attribute of God. We can mar these attributes if we want to debate and challenge God that way, elevating ourselves above Him. It can be a natural temptation to sit in judgment of God when life is not going your way. Whenever your heart is acting out of faithlessness, you will seek to take control of the situation, even if it means making accusations against the Lord or hurting those who are interfering with what you're trying to control. Ultimately, the battle is between faith and fear. That's where the tension is. When trouble comes, people are afraid. I have been that way, and I know that you have too. The Lord is always calling us to faith, to trust that our faith transcends our suffering. The difficulty in trusting the Lord is in proportion to the fear of what we perceive our losses to be including our lives. As you sense something in your life being wrestled away, the more you will fight, even if that tussle is against God. This response is not what Job was willing to do. He was not going to war. He was going to trust. The Lord gave and the Lord took away. He chose to worship God, at least at that moment. If you're not, if you're not like Job, then name the thing that you are afraid of losing. It is that thing that is sabotaging your faith. I lost my wife, my children, my home, my property, my reputation during a very dark season. These lost things were easy to identify. I didn't want to lose them, but I could not control the outcome. 
And so what did I do? I brought God down to my level so that I could be angry with Him and be angry at other people as well because I was afraid of losing these things. Now, maybe the thing you are afraid of losing is not as discernible, though I, I doubt it. Most of us know something we do not want to lose. When something challenges it, we can become angry, fearful, faithless. This intersection is where you will have to make a life-altering decision. Would you be honest about the real motives of your heart? If you cannot or will not do this, you'll always live a life oscillating between anger and fear. You may start with fear as the thing you want continues to slip through your hands. You may resort to anger as a fearful, insecure, manipulative mechanism to regain control of that thing you're afraid of losing. The first step in transcending your trouble is to be honest with what is going on in your heart. Because I did not respond like Job, it took a while for me to be honest with God and others. I had to own my sin by naming my fear. Also, had to recognize how anger was complicating matters. Only then did I begin a process of repenting of this fear of loss while trusting the Lord. And mercifully, the anger started to subside too. Now, if you can relate to anything that I'm saying here, I strongly encourage you not to walk this journey alone. Bring trusted friends into this battle for your soul. The mortification of sin does not happen at a point in time. It is a journey that is really suited for a community. If you want to read what I've just shared with you, then you can go to our website, and here's the title, Bringing God Down to My Level So I Can Argue With Him. I want to wrap up by asking you just a few questions. Number one, which attribute of the Lord brings you the most significant struggle? I'll not repeat those attributes here, but I would encourage you, maybe uh, you can gather the 10 that I listed here. And of course, there's many more, but which one or two do you struggle with the most? I mean, sovereignty obviously is a big one. Number two, how does this struggle impede what the Lord would like to do for you? If we struggle with who God is, then we're going to start pecking away, uh, diminishing, trying to diminish Him. Again, I was using the word let loosely because ultimately we can't do that. And so as you recognize His struggle, what is your plan to change? Number three, which attribute brings you most comfort? Name it. Name two or three. I hope there's several. And then question number four, why does it? Why does it bring you comfort? And then also, will you share with a friend how God comforts you during trials? I mean, who knows? Your friend probably needs this kind of encouragement, and I would imagine that they do. I think it would be a good conversation to have to talk to them in context about what I'm sharing here and just be that encourager with your friend. Then number five, what is something you don't want to lose? Now, I am not suggesting that you should lose it. That's kind of weird. Or that the Lord will take it away from you. That's, that's not what's going on here. My aim here is to help you recognize how an unguarded fear can sabotage your faith. If you are more fear-centered than God-centered about these matters, then I do recommend that you share what you have heard here with a friend and talk about 
the possibility of how you can change. Again, bringing God down to my level so that I can argue with Him. Come over to our coffee shop, lifeovercoffee.com, and tell your friends about it as well. Wonderful resources, life transforming. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com. 